Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Oh my gosh, Stu. Great show. Oh my gosh. Top 10 of uh, all time, maybe. All time. And I'm talking radio. I'm talking all the way back in the days of like Marconi. You know, Marconi. We're in the Marconi. Even days. I would even say the SOS signal from the Titanic, it was better than that. Wow, really? Yeah, more important, really. Mm-hmm. More important. That's us, important. Uh, <laughs> today's a great show. Uh, first, we start with uh, Fonny. Uh, Willis and her uh, love life. It is crazy what they're get, trying to get you to believe now. Uh, then we talked to Peter Schweizer about his new book, Blood Money, and what China is doing here in America. Then a fascinating hour with David and Tim Barton on their new book, The uh, Story of America, which is out now. This one is on the first seven presidents. It's a fascinating, I mean, it's a geek fest. I gotta warn you. You're like, I like the founders, but they all look alike to me. Oh, I know you. I know you. Uh, It is a geek fest, but you will learn a ton about the founding of the Republic and have so many more questions uh, after it. All on today's podcast, brought to you by My Patriot Supply. You know, it's hard to know when an emergency is going to occur, whether it's something happening directly to you, something in your region, even something nationwide or global. It's up in the air. The fact is, the only guarantee is that things are going to change. And sometimes that change is kind of bad. The time to prepare for that is not after they happen. It's well beforehand. And that's why companies like My Patriot Supply are so incredibly important and why I've been talking about them so much. You can get started today by going to My Patriot Supply, where you can save $200 on an essential three-month emergency food kit. Over the years, My Patriot Supply has helped millions of American families prepare for emergencies, and yours should be next. Sealed inside this ultra-durable packaging, their delicious meals last up to 25 years, 2,000 calories a day, and they're good. Eat right when things go wrong with these three-month emergency food kits from My Patriot Supply. $200 in savings. You can get enough for each family. They have pudding, chocolate pudding. They deserve your protection the pudding, and your family. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. Order by three, and you're going to get the same-day shipping for free. MyPatriotSupply.com. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Oh, Fonny. Now, in case you don't remember, Fonny Willis is the prosecutor. She is the uh, uh, the DA that is making this case about Donald Trump, uh, you know, trying to steal the election, yada, yada, yada. Well, uh, there's a little problem there because somebody found out that she was paying one of the expert witnesses and investigators an awful lot of money. Um, he was making like, I think almost twice as much, right? As some of the other experts. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the other Mm -hmm. people. So uh, people started looking into that. And then the rumor 
came to this investigator that they were having an affair and they were going on lavish trips together. And so they wondered, wow, um, hmm, is, I mean, is something going on here that, uh, you know, might lack some professionalism? Uh, yes. And then uh, it, it, there, there became this little squabble of when did you hire him? Did you hire him before or after this case? What, 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 what is it? There was also a divorce going on. Uh, and he was getting a divorce, this prosecutor. He was getting a divorce. And it came up in the divorce trial that those two were having an affair. And he said, no, I've never had an affair in my marriage. Okay, well, that wasn't true. But he got on the stand and he said, well, it depends on, I'm not, I'm not making this up, depends on how you define marriage. Uh, in my head, we were divorced for a long time. Okay, not usually the way we do that, but okay. Uh, let's redefine some more things about marriage. Uh, so the problem is they swore under oath several times that they didn't have a relationship at all prior to 20... Uh, the, well, again, this was a big part of the testimony. Right, do I you know. mean romantic relationship? Yes, or I do. do. Mean I mean relationship I mean as if up. they had met each other. Do we have any porn music? <laughs> we, you know, that kind of a relationship. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, they. <laughs> this guy. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, this, yeah. You could Ding see this dong. Guy. Yeah. Pizza delivery. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so they had a uh, they admitted to the relationship after he was hired and i believe he was hired in november of 2021 okay. so they i think said the relationship started in early 2022 right and so after he was hired yeah after he was hired and so mm -hmm. the of course you know they went to work to say wait a minute <laughs> this this that seems like it started way before that including right. a, a testimony from someone yeah. one of her best friends at the time and then somebody else that you know, said uh, attorney client privilege. Right. Yes. So that's like, you know, fifth. Okay. We know what you're saying. Sit down. Right. They, one of his, one of his attorneys was also asked about this and obviously they wouldn't have asked him about this if they didn't know what the answer was, but he couldn't, he, he, he was able to get out of it with attorney Correct. client privilege. However, uh, the other witness said they had been together since at least 2019. Now, of course this is important because it, it, the accusation here is that she's, trying to extend this and do as much as they can to get as much money into this guy's pocket as possible. In other words, her goal is not justice here. Her goal is to enrich this guy who is in turn enriching her, right? Now, if their answer was immediately, look, this guy's the best in the business. Yeah, we had an affair. It's got nothing to do with this. Uh, we've been dating since 2019, but it doesn't matter because we, I, you know, I knew he did great work and that's why I brought him on this case. It's got nothing to do with this case. They probably skate scot-free on this, but because of his divorce, they don't go down that road. They decide instead to deny everything, and that leads to some problems, <clears throat> some little problems. Mm -hmm. Now, so it was really he said, she said kind of stuff, uh, and you didn't have any evidence except it seemed pretty obvious. Nobody, nobody in their right mind could buy their excuses, but if you want right. to have... No shadow of a doubt. You don't really have any evidence, right? right. Remember their excuses too. Uh, that yeah. they went on multiple expensive trips. 
that he paid for on his business credit card, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. His business credit card. Mm-hmm. He paid for those trips. Then their their story is after they returned, she took some amount, thousands and thousands of dollars each time out of her glob of cash she keeps at her house that there are no records of, and she takes the thousands of dollars and gives it to him to pay back for her part of the travel, remember they're dating at this point, for her part of the travel, and then he takes it and then never deposits it into his bank account. Right. He just, I guess, what keeps it in his glove box and pays for gas every time in cash. Well, I mean, it's his business credit card. He went into the business and said, here, I owe you this, and just gave him lots of cash. Uh, well, there would be, of course, a record of that. So that's well, not what happened. Well, um, unless and- the accountant at the business doesn't. <laughs> no. Dude, we don't count cash coming in. Well, we just put it in, well, this drawer, you know, right here. Oh, yeah. Well, again, like if you had, if it, if he paid in cash for the trips, this mm-hmm. might be kind of believable. I, even though no. it's never happened before. No. This interaction between two people in a romantic relationship has never occurred. Okay. So now, uh, apparently, there's a, something called phone records. What? Yes. What does that mean? Uh, well, it means they can track your location by triangulating your location. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, uh, it's kind of interesting <clears throat> that the phone records show that they had a lot of late night, well, phone calls uh, that kind of came in and, uh, and ding dong, pizza, you know. He was oh, no. playing the pizza delivery. He man, was. I yeah. I mean, you know, look, sometimes pizzas do get delivered uh, late at yes, night. Yes, yes. And then other times people look under the box. So they, hmm? So over 2,000 voice calls and just uh, under 12,000 interactions were exchanged. Wait, it's 12,000 text messages. Yes, yeah, 12,000. 2,000 voice calls can you think of anything more annoying than receiving 2,000 voice calls from anyone let alone Fonny Willis I don't I wonder if Tanya and I this guy deserves hazard pay I wonder if Tanya and I have had 2,000 calls back to each other and 12,000 text messages I mean there there's no way what was the period again I mean it's a year it was January to November not a year 10 months okay 10 months I mean I talked to my wife on the phone, I'm trying to think. Let's go crazy and say twice a day. I mean, I live with her, right? right. Like I, so I see her at home in the morning, and I right. see with her, see her at night, and then during the day, there's a couple times she might call or text. I mean, you could probably, I could probably count up a month of our texts to see how many were exchanged, but there's no way it's a thousand. So I don't carry a phone, but I have an iPad that I take texts. And uh, mm-hmm. Tanya probably texts me two, three times a day, maximum. Right. Maximum. That uh, sounds about right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know. Interactions, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, mm-hmm. honestly, like the text messages, some people text a lot. Some people write small text messages. Some people give you the emoji reactions to them. I don't know what counts in there. So 12,000, maybe that's understandable. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 2,000 uh-huh. voice calls in 10 months? I don't. You know, I, have, I bet I have not made two thousand tech uh, phone calls in ten months. If you combine every call I've made now, even if even if the twelve thousand text messages were just doing the salsa dancer emoji, which I don't 
Is there a salsa dancer emoji? Yeah, you've never seen that? I have, I, I have no idea what it's I don't know for. that I've ever I, used an emoji, so that's, that's yeah, a whole Yeah, so other. there's the salsa Very dancer, concerned. and I don't know mm-hmm. what the salsa dancer is supposed to represent. I have no idea. And so maybe that's the code salsa dancer. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, hey, let's hook up. Salsa dancer. Right. They have like their own if code language. If there's 12,000 salsa dancers, we know something's going on because, I mean, what does that mean? That's code. I would not be. Would you be surprised if we saw a lot of eggplants and peaches? <laughs> okay, uh, I, don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what those 8, mean. Eight thousand of the twelve thousand were eggplants or peaches. <laughs> I don't. I Why? don't. Yeah, I, I guarantee they'd be like, look, have you ever had this uh, this uh, authentic uh, native dish that has both peaches and eggplants? We kept making it. That's all. That's it. They they will go to any, any. length to lie about this at this oh, point. They are done. Well, here's what she said. Uh, okay, so 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 just so you know, so you know, they have him how many times? Forty five times. 35 occasions. Yes, at least. At her. And that was a conservative estimate. 35 was a conservative estimate about Mm -hmm. how many times she was there. So uh, they have things like this. uh, September 11th through the 12th, deeper analysis. We don't need to say that. uh, Described the attached affidavit from the cell phone tracking. He left the Dural area approximately 10, 15 p.m., traveling directly to and arriving within the geofence Located on the Dogwood address to approximately 1045. He left the Dogwood address approximately 328 a.m. What happens between 1045 and 328 a.m.? I mean, I'm just... Mm-hmm. Okay, then, then he leaves there and he texts Fanny at 420. Okay. <laughs> Can you please call her for the purposes funny, of this? Can funny. you please refer to her as Fonny? I'm having a hard time with your peaches remark. <laughs> uh, following a call from Fonny Willis at 11.32 p.m., which continues for 40 minutes, leaving the towers located near his resident in East Cobb at approximately 12.05 a.m., ongoing call at uh, 12.38. So he, t- he leaves his house to drive to her house and is on the phone with her the whole way, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Then he goes... Just think about this. Then he goes to this area, which includes her home, a very small area between two uh, cell phone towers. Um, and how long does he stay there till? Uh, until 4.45 a.m. 4.45 a.m.? <laughs> yeah. Is it really 4.45? I didn't really realize it was that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he never spent the night, as no, they he both didn't. testified. He no, no, never, never spent, spent the night. night. Now, how would you justify this? That you know, You know what makes sense now? Why did the prosecution when they were when they were talking to him and her why did they say was he ever at where you laid your head yeah that was the term now it was her she used that terminology first in the testimony Oh, she did yeah because she kept he kept they were trying to say okay what about at this condo she's like i don't even know i just kept the cash wherever i laid my head now of course, that's always what you do, right? When you, if you, let's say you go to a motel, you bring your $50,000 in cash with you. It just stays with you wherever you go. I know a lot of people operate this way that are in the mob. But other than that, I don't know of any, so, anyone who does. So here's what she has said since Friday, since his story broke. Quote, the records do nothing more than demonstrate that a special prosecutor Wade's telephone 
was located somewhere. <laughs> Not him. Maybe right. It's just, it's his, just phone. his phone. His phone could have been flying. What if it has wings and it's yeah. flying around at night? We have no idea. He is, he's a guy, he loves to share. He's, yeah, he's he, a big sharer. I, I'm not going to use my phone between 10 o'clock at night and let's say 4.55 in the morning. I've got unlimited minutes. Yeah, No one's ahead. using them. Yeah. Why don't you use, use my phone? Use them. Mm-hmm. So records do nothing more than demonstrate that Special Prosecutor Wade's telephone was located somewhere within a densely populated multiple-mile radius where various <laughs> residents, restaurants, bars, nightclubs, and other businesses are located. How many of those are open at 4.20 a.m.? Well, I'd also like to say, uh, how, many, how many cases have you tried uh, on cell phone location because this is so bad. What what she is what she is now arguing against is what's called cell hawk, and law enforcement and uh, attorneys say this is the system to triangulate phones. So everybody who is like you know Googled in, how do I get rid of an hundred and twenty pound sack of meat and bones, <laughs> and then you know. The girlfriend is missing. They always like, uh, yeah, but we have you going to the Home Depot, back to your house, then to the grave site. I'm sorry, to that park you were visiting. You know what I mean? They This is the same thing. So if she discredits this, how many cases, I mean, because if I were a, a defense attorney and my client had gone to jail with this as the linchpin and she discredits, I'd be like, she herself. So even the district said, attorney mm-hmm. says this isn't good. It's really bad. And do you think she's the type of person who would risk multiple murder investigations uh, over just to protect herself, Glenn? Yes. Does she yes. seem yes. like that kind yes. of person? Yes, I do. Wow, uh, yes, I do. Surprising. And so does he. Mm. Okay, more from the podcast here in just a second. I met a lot of people who listen to this program that have lived in debilitating pain. Their stories are really heartbreaking. The um, the people who have turned to Relief Factor have found themselves missing the ability uh, to sit at home and uh, just lay around in pain. Yeah, that's right, because they've started walking again, shooting a round of golf every now and then, playing with the grandkids on the floor. Some have turned to medications. I did. It will make you foggy. I don't want to live that way. You, can't, you just can't live that way. You need something natural. The more pharmaceuticals that we put into our body, the worse I think things get. A daily supplement that is 100% natural is Relief Factor, and it was de- developed by doctors to relieve inflammation. It's the inflammation in our body that leads to most of our problems and most of our pain. See how Relief Factor can help you with their three-week quick start kit. It's $19.95. Comes with Relief Factor's Feel Better or Your Money Back Guarantee. So give it a try. Visit relieffactor.com or call 800 the number 4 relief. 800 the number 4 relief. When you feel the difference, you know it works. Now back to the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. As always, Peter Schweitzer is uh, with us. Hello Peter, how are you? Hey, I'm great, Glenn. How are you? Uh, very good. Very good. Hey, I just got to ask you um it were you anywhere near James Biden when he threw that really expensive diamond away? <laughs> no, but I think I'm going to go look through his trash. Yeah, so that's not the sort of thing I would throw away. Yeah, it's. The, I mean the the excuses on all fronts between Fonnie Willis and the Bidens. I I mean 
who believes this stuff at this point? Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I mean, you've got a core of people um, who, uh, you know, so hate Trump, so hurt, uh, so hate traditional uh, conservatives uh, that they are going to suspend uh, any logic and reason uh, and just follow blindly uh, with the things that they're being told. Um, you know, we were told for a long time Joe Biden had no knowledge of any of his family's business dealings. Um, we now know that he does, and, and he's reverted to, well, I didn't make any money off of it, and that's not true either. And so you see this pattern continuously, but this is the onward march of the truth, Glenn. Uh, you've been on this on so many fronts. We've tried to be as well. Um, the truth is undeniable. People will kind of pretend it's not there. They'll obscure it. They'll attack the messenger. But I still believe truth wins out in the end, and you're seeing, I think, the House of Cards starting to implode. I think so, too. Before we get into the new evidence, why do you say that? What are you seeing? Uh, I, uh, what I see is I see the, the attitude and trends of the American people. I mean, they were, you know, they were told uh, repeatedly that Joe Biden was a centrist, that he was the adult authority. Uh, and I think sort of the last vestiges of uh, the mainstream media institutions uh, were able to persuade a sizable portion of people to that fact. Um, I think a lot of people now feel betrayed. I mean, I, I have friends who were, uh, you know, Biden supporters in 2020 who said this is not the guy that we elected. Forget the cognitive stuff. Um, and, and this is the problem. I think a lot of these institutions believe that they can continue to deceive and manipulate without a cost. Well, it's costing them in, in terms of their credibility and it's severely damaged. And if you look at the polls just on the Biden corruption story, which we've been on, you know, since 2018, you've now got in the high 60 percent um, on all these surveys, Harvard, Harris, ABC News, et cetera, saying that the American people believing that Joe Biden uh, either committed crimes or engaged in unethical behavior to help his family's business. So uh, that to me is, is an amazing number. They haven't, though, connected it to the policies. For instance, the balloon. The Chinese balloon, we had another one, you know, we thought, yeah. you know, this one is apparently a hobbyist. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when you see things that are happening with China, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. For instance, on the border, you have, I think, 46 questions. If you're coming into the United States illegally, you have 46 questions you have to be asked. He told the Department of Homeland Security and Border Patrol they could only ask, what was it, seven or something like that. Right. If you're from China yeah. and nobody connects that, can can you help make yeah. that connection here? Yeah. I mean, look, I think um, one of the things I talk about in the book is um, the whole issue of fentanyl. Hang on um, just a second. Hang on, at- hang on, hang on. I just want to teach you this. And I know you know this already, but stop return- referring to it as my book. It's called blood money. So every time, you know, it's like I talk about in blood money, just trying to help you sell. Go ahead. Thanks, Glenn. You're welcome. Yeah, no, it's in in blood money. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about I talk about how, you know, I got I got a lot of uh, documents uh, leaked from Homeland Security, from other government agencies. China's involvement in fentanyl is is completely at every link in the chain, not just the precursors that everybody knows about. The port that the precursors go into Mexico, that port is run by a Chinese company. The precursors are sent to a small town in northern Mexico where 2,000 Chinese nationals 
happen to be living, helping the drug cartels turn the fentanyl into, you know, the precursors into fentanyl. They use Chinese pill presses. Homeland Security says Chinese companies sold those pill presses to the cartels at cost. They're not even price gouging them. They're selling them at cost to create this poison, which is poisoning Americans. So, the so cartels, the Mexican. Uh, Peter, I've, I've said for a long time um, that this is this is the drug war. They learned this, yeah. uh, you know, in the opium wars, what England did to them, they're doing to us. Does that stand up? Well, absolutely. One hundred percent. They talk about that. And here's the thing. I mean, they are involved in every level from the precursors to the money laundering. The, the drug cartels used to launder their money in Latin American banks. They now launder them in Chinese state owned banks uh, and they actually use. Uh, uh, some Chinese students that are here on education visas are the ones that are laundering the money for these cartels. So here's here's the problem, Glenn. That's what China's doing. And to those of us who have studied China, to a certain extent, that's not surprising. Here is the shocking, surprising part to me, which is our political class, many of them, will not talk about China's involvement. And the reason is they are compromised. Uh, you ask, connect the, you know, the Biden flow of money to a particular policy. I would say fentanyl. Think about this reality for a second. I talk about this in Blood Money. The guy that leads a Chinese criminal gang called UBG, this is the criminal gang that set up the Sinaloa cartel in the fentanyl trade and made them the kings of fentanyl. Everybody acknowledges UBG did that. The guy that heads it up is Zhang Anlo. He goes by the name White Wolf. White Wolf has a business partner who, as I document in the book, sent $5 million to the Biden family. Now, does, does Joe Biden really want to have a conversation about Chinese involvement in the fentanyl trade? No. And that's why he won't do it. That's why he won't confront them, even though it is now the leading cause of death for people under the age of 45 in the United States. It's like a jetliner getting shot down every single day, 365 days a year. That's what's happening to us. Joe Biden won't talk about it because he's compromised. And as I think I also show in the book, the same thing with Gavin Newsom, Mitch McConnell, Adam Schiff and others. They do not want to have this conversation because they have entanglements that are very, very embarrassing for them politically. Talk a little bit about this, uh, these people, Peter, because as you do in all of your books, you, you don't this isn't a partisan attack. You go after, you know, when Mitch McConnell is guilty, you go after him when yep. Gavin Newsom's the target you go after him. So talk a little bit about some of these figures specifically, because it's hard for people to believe that with, when you're talking about the, the cost of, of life that is tied to the fentanyl yeah. uh, situation, that people would be this, you know, this absent uh, when talking about yeah. this, but it seems like they are. No, that, that's a great question. I mean, I'll give you the, the Gavin Newsom part to me was, was perhaps the most surprising um, you know, governor of California obviously recently took a trip to China uh, where he talked about how he just loves the Chinese government. He talked to them about fentanyl, but emphasized it's not about finger pointing. Uh, the one people he did point fingers at when he was in China was Republicans in the United States saying that they're too hard on on Beijing. So, you know, in California since 2016, you've had a 1200 percent increase in fentanyl deaths. Gavin Newsom does not want to talk about China's role. Why is that? Well, when you look back into his history, beginning when he was mayor in San Francisco, he has a longtime relationship 
collaboration with figures that we know are involved in Chinese organized crime. Uh, when he was mayor of San Francisco, he appointed a gentleman named Alan Long uh, to head up redevelopment, economic redevelopment in Chinatown, San Francisco. Turns out the guy was a dragon head in an organized crime syndicate, Chinese organized crime syndicate that was involved in the drug trade. Uh, he had a, a, a gentleman um, on his transition team as mayor of San Francisco. Turns out he was also involved in the organized crime uh, efforts, uh, Chinese organized crime, and involved in the drug trade. Then when he set up as mayor of San Francisco something called China SF, this was designed to uh, get Chinese investments um, into uh, San Francisco for economic growth. He picks a guy named Vincent Lowe, a Chinese businessman, who it's already been reported has ties to Chinese organized crime. But that's the one guy that Gavin Newsom signs a memorandum of understanding to with China SF. And you have to ask yourself, why on earth is he doing that? And as I also point out in Blood Money, uh, that meant that uh, triad or Chinese organized crime businesses that are tied to them now came into the Bay Area. And they were actually brought into the Bay Area through this program Gavin Newsom set up called China SF. Now, I'm not suggesting that Gavin Newsom is involved in the drug trade, but what I am saying is uh, he made some really, really, really bad decisions. And I think he knew he made decisions that he was doing business with because he thought it was politically expedient um, and, and that, you know, the history goes forward from there. But my point is Gavin Newsom does not want to talk about China's involvement, Chinese organized crime involvement in the fentanyl trade, because that's going to open up lots of questions about him and the relationships that he has. So he's making a politically expedient decision, even though Californians are dying every single day uh, from this poisoning that's being engineered by China. You are listening to the best of Glenn Beck. To listen to the rest of this interview, check out the full show podcast. There are three books that should be a must in everyone's library. Everyone within the sound of my voice should have these three books, and I do not mean have them uh, in um, you know online. You must have a copy, a hardbound or a paper copy of these three books. The first one, the five thousand year leap, the miracle that changed the world. That miracle was America. And it is the clearest defining of our principles and uh, what makes us, what made us, 5,000-year leap. Number two, the American story, the beginnings. The American story, the beginnings, is the second book you should get. And that's the beginning of a series. The second book in the series comes out tomorrow, the American story, rebuilding the Republic. Those three books you must have. Why? Because the truth of who we are, what got us here, uh, what our real history is, good, bad, ugly, is being erased. All of it is being erased. Right now, when you have AI, and we know this as a fact now, AI is going through any digital libraries and they are making small uh, but meaningful changes in history. At some point, you will not be able to go online and find the true history of America. 
It must be preserved by people like you. And the American story, uh, book one, the beginnings, and now building the Republic, um, written by David Barton and Tim Barton, his son, and they join me now, comes out tomorrow. David, how are you? Good, man. Good to be with you. I am so excited uh, for this book um, because you guys tell really pithy stories. You cover a lot of ground. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to read, and, and they're fun. They're great stories. What, the, the thing I learned when I began teaching at church is the teacher thinks when you're going in, I'm going to teach these kids. But if you really take it seriously, the teacher learns more than the kids do usually. So you've been teaching American history forever. Tim, you're teaching American history now. What did you guys learn that maybe shocked you? Uh, you know, I think I was shocked at the content, the amount of material that was brand new to me, and I think I've been through tens of thousands of original documents. I think I have a pretty good feel for the original content, and yet there was so much more that I had never been exposed to. But anything that was beyond nuance, anything that was like, oh my gosh, this <clears throat> is, we have this wrong, or we... yeah. And there definitely were things that were affirmations. We were going the right direction. But then some were fun tidbits. Like George Washington, we know he had teeth problems, right? You mm -hmm. know he had dentures. Well, yeah. he, he lost his first tooth to rotten decay when he was 23 years old. Mm. By the time he was president, he had one real tooth left. Oh. And he lost it as president. So our first president had no teeth, right? <laughs> I mean, kind of fun, nuanced things. But then when when you go further, things that have shaped the landscape in, in judicial structure uh, the the precedent of Marbury versus Madison, judicial review, that you can come in and review and change things and... Explain, we'll, pretend <clears throat> I don't know what that case is. Okay, so Marbury versus Madison, the, the way it's generally understood, and this is one of the changes when we did some research and realized that the way it's being used today is a misrepresentation of what it was, but the way it's taught is... No, no, wait. Tell me what it is first. What brought... what? Case, what is it? So Marbury versus Madison, it was a case um, where where Marbury was uh, initially serving under John Adams' presidency. Jefferson becomes president, and there's multiple judicial appointments, last-minute midnight appointments. Right. And Marshall's the guy who is supposed to deliver all these appointments, get all these judges there, right. and he has 24 hours to do it. And they don't all get delivered in time. Jefferson is in office the next day. And apparently some of these appointments were left on a desk and Jefferson sees him and he's like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And so they are not given, even though Adams made the appointment, they were not delivered. So are they actually judges or not? Are they supposed to hold this position or not? This is the case that goes before the Supreme Court. Well, the Supreme Court then determines that, yeah, these guys really should have their positions because it was given an appointment. Where it becomes fascinating is the Supreme Court justice that delivered the decision was the same guy who failed to deliver those things in the first place. Oh, my gosh. He was one of the appointments that he made the Supreme Court. Wow. When the case gets to the Supreme Court, he's the one. So instead of recanting and saying, like, I shouldn't be here, well, then it gets even deeper and there's even more details. So what happens is this is really the first time you see pure D partisanship among the founding fathers. Because John Adams is a hardcore Federalist. Thomas Jefferson is nonpartisan. He doesn't think you ought to have a party. He thinks you ought to have principles. But he's running against uh, against Adams, and Adams says, well, you're not a Federalist, so you're a bad guy. 
So it's a really vicious, vicious, vicious campaign. This is the campaign where uh, Adam says, oh, your daughter's heads will be on a pike after after Jefferson is elected. Your children will be raped and murdered. And- oh, the, 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 the sermons were preached by yeah. each side against the other. We got yeah. sermons that, that, that yeah. it's just unbelievable. And, and to clarify, it wasn't Adam saying that, but it was people on Adam's no, was, side that yeah. were saying that. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Um, and Jefferson went back and said he was, that, that uh, Adams was a, a, a hermaphroditic uh, figure, it having neither the firmness of a man or the what was it the wisdom of a woman yeah, something like yeah, that. That's yeah. right. And, and, and so what happens with this thing is you, this is where this actually led to a constitutional amendment. Because it was back then that when you got elected president, it was four months until the next president took office. So you've got a four-month lame duck period. And in that four months, John Adams, he, and he's got, a, he's got a Federalist Congress and the House and Senate, he said, all right, let's do everything we can to put laws in place that Jefferson can't change. And so for four months, they're legislating like crazy, and that's where the Marbury-Madison comes from, is because what happens is Jefferson is a, he, he is, he is a nonpartisan guy, and he thinks the courts ought to be just read the Constitution, and Adams is more, no, it needs to be the Federalist view of the Constitution. That's amazing. And so Adams comes up with 58 judgeships. And the, the Congress created 58 new judgeships so he could stack the courts with his guys. And then when Jefferson gets in, he's going to have these 58 new judges. So he gives all – they get the, the judicial commissions. It's called signed, sealed, and delivered. They make the commission. Then John Adams signs it. Then they put the seal of the United States on it, and the Secretary of State delivers that, that to the judge. And that's signed, sealed, and delivered. That's where the phrase comes from. So he did that for all these things, except, as Tim pointed out, your Secretary of State was John Marshall. John Marshall. And what Adams mm-hmm. does, he says, well, to really reinforce the Supreme Court, I'm going to put my Secretary of State as Chief Justice U.S. Supreme Court. So he points Marshall to be the Chief Chief Justice Supreme Court. Holy cow. So, this is what they're doing. The left does now. But, exactly. But, but what the, the argument is today is that, well, you're supposed to have judicial review, that the Supreme Court can look and they can overturn things. And the, from the very beginning, this was wrong. And John Marshall shouldn't have been a part of this case to begin with because it was he was the one supposed to deliver them as secretary of state. He did not. So there's so many things about this. But, but the way so wait, was, wait, 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 wait. This is where judicial review this is where it comes, comes from, and this it's Correct. on such a flawed historical basis. This is, and I'll tell you what's really interesting too is if you'll look at judicial review, the right of the Supreme Court to review legislative actions and strike them down. That's what's taught in every law book today. You're not going to find that taught in the 1800s or the 1700s. That's a 20th century thing that progressives picked up, and so what happened? So when, wait, wait, wait! It didn't change things at the time. No. It was brought up by the progressives later. Later, it's, as the example of how you should do it. it it's wow. very similar to when the progressives brought up Jefferson's phrase "separation of church and state" and used it right. right in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s to remove religion. When, if you go back and read Jefferson's letter, he's not talking about removing religion. He's talking about protecting, protecting religion from the government. But this is what progressives did. And in the midst of this, what's, what's also contrary to the way it's understood today is that, well, Jefferson didn't deliver any of those. No, Jefferson actually took what was left, and he actually reviewed and said, you know, some of these people actually make sense to be judges, but then there were some. He's like, we don't need, like, dozens of judges in this one little they, they area. They had more than 20 judges just in Washington, D.C. alone, and that's a brand-new city. Why do you oh need 20 God. judges? And so he says, we don't, because you can do what they're doing know. today. That's right. But literally, he says, we don't need all these judges, so he made a very practical, pragmatic decision and said, we're not going to give all these out, but... 
Marbury was one of the guys who didn't get the appointment. So it goes to Supreme Court. John Marshall's like, yeah, that really should have been delivered to you. And it's a shame it wasn't. We're going to uphold this position. Well, he was the one that was supposed to deliver it. Nonetheless, these are things as we said. And right. I mean, I, I understand right now we're getting into the weeds of some of these stories that for history people is fun. That's not what the, the majority of the book is about. Our, our, our premise with the book is that the majority of people would know the names of Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, right? Maybe even an Andrew Jackson. We know those names. But if we were to ask people, can you tell me a story of James Madison? And they might say, well, he wrote the Constitution. And we'd say, well, that, that's a fact regarding, that's not a story about him. We don't know their stories anymore. And because we don't know their stories, we don't know the examples. We, we, we don't know the lessons, the precedent. Even All the, we know are the weeds. Right. Yes, that's right. And, and, and so often what we know is not actually correct about them. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D.